Thanks again, guys, for tuning in to another episode of the How to Bible Podcast. My name is Levi, and I am the host of this podcast. And today we're going to talk about part two of uh, one of our last podcasts when I asked the question, if Jesus was doing ministry today, would he be doing it differently than us? The question I kind of let linger for a few days because I wanted our viewers, our listeners, you guys to kind of ponder the question and maybe ask and send some feedback in. And I got some feedback, which is really interesting and and really insightful about uh, the act of discipleship and whether or not we are doing ministry correctly today. Uh, and I do believe that um, that there are aspects of our church and churches here in the United States that are really doing a fantastic job of of corporate growth, uh, of getting people plugged in and getting them moving. But I also see that there's a huge, huge gap from people who accept Christ and begin to move forward in maturity. They begin to move forward in uh, displaying the fruit of an individual who is truly converted. And I think that the remedy for that is found within the realm of one-on-one biblical sound discipleship. Now, Barna did a great study on on discipleship and the state of the church, and uh, it was really insightful. It said that uh, most people attending uh, Sunday school or fellowship group is about 43% of practicing Christians attend a church or some sort of maybe small uh, home group church or a home church or something along those lines. Studying the Bible with a group, 33% of the people that were surveyed said that they also were involved in some, I guess this would be more of like a small group setting. Um, The next topic or the next section is reading and discussing a Christian book with a group. Uh, 25% of Christians said that they were involved in that. But the last part was the part that really troubled me. See, the vast majority of Christians say that over the last 12 months, they've exhibited some growth. Um that they feel like they've moved forward spiritually. Uh, But the last one here, the meeting with a spiritual mentor, which in my opinion is really the antithesis of of a true, mature, uh, biblically discipled relationship, is meeting with a person one-on-one. 17% of people said that they were actually meeting with an individual one-on-one and discussing their spiritual health and allowing themselves to be mentored, or better better word is is discipled. Seventeen um, percent, which which is again, I I feel like the the best example of discipleship is that one on one. Practicing Christians said that you know forty percent of them said that they grew a lot. Fifty one percent said they grew some. Seven uh, percent was eh, not so much. Uh, about spiritual progress in the last 12 months. So the, the more than 50% of people have felt like they have grown at some point within their church. But the measurement of growth is is really subjective in, in this uh, study because people are asked uh, of themselves, like, hey, did I grow? Well, yeah, I feel like I've made strides here and there. I feel like I've, I've maybe tithed, maybe I've inserted some kind of biblical discipline into my life. Um, So it's hard for pastors and leaders within the church to really measure growth. Uh, One of the the questions I've always had for our 
uh, pastoral team is how do we how do we measure the growth of an individual? Because we know that when people get saved, when they when they become Christians, they all grow at different rates based on how they were moved to Christ. If somebody was moved radically to Christ, um, they they may be out in the street right away uh, preaching the gospel or handing out tracts. If somebody was gently moved, maybe if you grew up in the church and you and you were surrounded by it. Uh, all of your life, you may grow more slowly uh, into spiritual uh, to a spiritually mature Christian. So those are some of the problems in, in, in really addressing spiritual growth. Um, the Barna study went on to say that one third of people Christians that were surveyed are actually involved in that one on one time with a spiritual mentor. Think about how Christ did his ministry here in the world when when he was here 2,000 years ago. He met with individuals. He selected 12 people, and he did life with them. Anybody that came to follow him, they were told to deny themselves, to pick up their cross, and follow him. It wasn't this, this vague term. It was very specific. He wanted them to deny themselves their needs, their own desires, and follow Christ to seek first the kingdom of God. There was an article I printed out here. I'm just going to highlight some of some of what they've noticed as as the problems within uh, the the discipleship community. This individual cited a couple of stats uh, stats this year. It says 35,000 churches will close this year. 1,500 pastors will leave ministry this month, and approximately 7,575 people will move on from church today with their general grievance being we just gradually drifted away from religion. So it sounds like there's a very big um, contrast from what it is we say as far as growth goes and what exactly is going on within the Christian community here in the United States. I mean, 3,500 churches closing in a year and 1500 pastors just leaving ministry i mean that's that's a that's a big problem that men and women who feel that they are called to ministry that feel like god has anointed them um they feel like it's time to move on from the ministry time to leave the ministry and and i know that god calls us into ministry for seasons and I know that he calls us out of ministry for seasons. I know for myself, I have just recently resigned uh, from the pastoral staff at a local church as a youth pastor, and it was a really difficult decision for me to make, and I've mentioned this before on other podcasts, but uh, I really wanted to realign my life, to reprioritize my life, to ensure that my family was first before anything else, because ministry... Um, because you have so much passion for it, because you love the Lord, you want to serve Him continually and perpetually, and that becomes your first ministry. And then your family gets the leftovers, which is which is really a which is really a problem. I mean, your family is your first ministry. So, according to this article, there's some confusion about what it means to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. So. Uh, if you were to go to church and you were to have people raise their hands and say, hey, are you a Christian? There'd be a, a large majority of individuals that would raise their hands within the church. But if you pose the question directly afterwards, asking individuals, are you a disciple of Jesus Christ? You would see a great deal of those hands drop. And the question is why? And the article says that the vast majority of individuals within the church believe that a disciple of Jesus Christ is an individual who's made a more radical decision or choice for Jesus than the standard Christian. Um, She goes on in this article to cite that the word disciple shows up 269 times and the word Christian only appears three times. In fact, Luke in... 
in the book of Acts 11.26, he uses the word disciple and Christian interchangeably. He uses it back and forth during that during that verse. So I would I would strongly suggest that you read it. It's uh, Acts 11, verse 26. Uh, check it out. Um, but disciple shows up so much more. So it would seem that there's a more emphasis, there's a bigger emphasis on being a disciple of Jesus Christ versus being a Christian. And I think we've taken that and kind of contextualized it to our own culture. We've taken the word Christian and just kind of applied it generally to a vast majority of things in our lives. And I think that's uh, I think that's a mistake because Christian is such a generalized, socially acceptable word. It's it's palatable for everybody. Uh, and we've changed it from disciple to Christian so that we are more uh, accepted among other individuals. Because if you were to say that you're a disciple of Christ to somebody, they're going to think you're some kind of religious nut, right? Uh, but the Bible does not really make a distinction between a disciple and a follower. It would appear that a follower is, in fact, a disciple of Christ. I'm going to read this verse to you real quick. It's Luke 9, verse 23 and 24. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. Now there is a strong emphasis placed on this of of all believers having that disciple-like commitment to Jesus Christ. Um, this this idea of chasing after the master, of following after the master. And I think that's really important that we are all, in fact, doing that. Um, so we'll be right back. We're going to go ahead and discuss the solutions and tips to living a more biblically sound and more discipled life in just one second. Thanks again, guys, for the second part of part two. This is going to turn out to be quite the podcast here this episode. Uh, so we just talked about some of the problems that um, we encounter in ministry, some of the problems that we have with uh, discipleship in ministry that people think it's kind of ambiguous. Um, a lot of people think that attending a church service, a Bible study or reading a book is considered discipleship, and I believe that those are really great aspects of discipleship, but I do not think that that is the heart of discipleship. I believe that the heart of discipleship is that one-on-one accountability with another mature Christian believer to build each other up for the sake of the kingdom of God. I believe that is the very heart and soul of that ministry, and there's a word for it. It's called relationship. So what are some things that you can do uh, as as a believer in Jesus Christ, as a disciple yourself, um, to be more effective, to be more useful not only to your church but also to the Lord in really creating a discipleship uh, culture? I've broken it down really into two groups because I know that there's a wide variety and, and, and various people that listen to this. You might be a leader in the church, a pastor, a youth pastor, uh, communications uh, admin, whatever it ends up being, uh, the Great Commission is for all of us. And I also know that there's lay people that listen to this, just average Joes like myself in the church that really want to get plugged in. They want to make a movement. They want to create a, a movement of true biblical discipleship in the church because we believe that is the one thing um, that our churches are really missing so I, I broke it up into two groups. Uh, I have things here that leaders in the church can be doing. Uh, it's a three-tier process. And then I have a singular step 
process for us uh, average individuals in the church that are just coming to to get fed by the word, and, and we want to plug in more. First thing I want to say to to those of you guys that are just attending church and you want to do more, and you're not on staff and you're thinking, man, like I can't do anything because I'm not a staff member and I don't have permission, no pastor or individual in the church is going to fault you for taking biblical steps to grow other individuals in maturity in their faith, okay? So you're not going to, your pastor's not going to throw you out of the church if you step up, if you take initiative and begin to collect individuals to create a group of disciplers that have the intention of going out and discipling other individuals. That's not at all going to be faulted uh, by your lead pastor or anybody on staff. Again, it has to be biblically based. So what are some tips? The first group, here we have leaders in the church. Uh, it's really important for leaders to understand that um, you need to create a core individual, a group of individuals that's looking out for people in the church that are new. Okay, so as a leader, you want to start selecting, uh, in the business world, sometimes they call them thunder lizards. These are people who who champion whatever the cause is, they champion whatever the, the vision is, the message, message is, the model, whatever it is, they're, they're all about it. They take that idea and they, and they shop it around to everybody. They're telling everyone about it. You know, those are the, the evangelists of your church. You want to find them. Collect that group. Once you get that group together, when you see new individuals come into the church, select somebody from that group to find that, that new individual. So say I walk into a church, I'm a new person, one of these individuals sees me, they come over, shake my hand, they kind of get my, my face value introduction, uh, maybe they sit with you during church. Uh, and kind of talk about things. They give you their number afterwards to connect and follow up with that individual. That's that's the first tier of that, really knowing your body and knowing who's in your body. So as a leader, you want to select people in the church that are familiar with our church that are looking for new people. And when they find that new people, they connect. They may not, you know, they may not be from the same culture, from the same background, may not have the same testimony. It doesn't matter. The first step is making sure that individuals who attend the church, that come into the church, don't feel like they're invisible. Because that's why people don't return to churches. Because they're like, well, nobody, nobody greeted me for six months. I have my own issues with that because that's a two-way street. Um, it, people come into the church. It, it's also your job to step up and, and say something and, and introduce yourself. Uh, I know that can be difficult. I know that can be hard. Uh, but hey, we're not going to church uh, to be fed cake and cookies. We're there to, to hear truth. All right. So that's the first step is, is making sure you got individuals. Now, after that individual in your church has made that connection, they've exchanged that phone number. The next step, the second tier to that, is to have that number passed on to somebody onto the pastoral staff. Now, pastors, your job, your job is to know your body, to know your congregation. Our lead pastor, uh, Joshua Perlman, does a fantastic job of knowing the individuals in the church, knowing the needs. Uh, he's very plugged in. Uh, that's one of the things that our family really loves about him is that he's very aware of his body. He's He's all about meeting with them. He's all about... You know, making sure he engages with them, and he's fantastic at it. The next part of that is to get that information to the pastor or the pastoral team. Then that team sets up an opportunity to meet with that individual, whether that's coffee, uh, dinner, some kind of one-on-one -on -one with them. Now, the pastor has a good full awareness of his body. He meets with a new person who's arrived who has been introduced to him by one of those watchers, those individuals that are looking for new people. 
Now the pastor begins to get a sense of the man or woman's testimony, um, gets a history of the individual, where they're from, what's going on, and knowing what he knows about his own body and the believers within the body, he starts to winnow down the list of individuals that we could connect that new person to, okay? We connect, you know, uh, Joe here to to Michael, who is also a doctor and, you know, came to his faith later on in his life and, you know, maybe he struggled with drugs and so does this other person. We get them together. And when we get those people together, that's when the discipleship begins to take off. Now, that can be uh, within a small group the first, the first time. Like you get somebody, hey, there's a great small group for... You know, people in recovery from addiction, drugs, pornography. Uh, maybe you're just a new believer and, and, you know, you're super vanilla, like really, really mellow. And, you know, there's nothing exciting in your life. And then we connect you to this group here. It's a great home group. The idea is to lead people to these situations. It's up to them to move into that, that into that, uh, that opportunity, into that, uh, that group. That's not your job. Your job is to steer the racehorse, not carry it. Okay? So remember, you steer the racehorse, don't carry it. So the second tier is getting that information to your pastor, and the pastor's job is to go ahead and start plugging these people in based on spiritual gifts, based on like testimonies, based on uh, where they're from, all these other, maybe socioeconomic, whatever it ends up being, plugging them in based on that. The third tier is that small group leader, the facilitator, um, should be... uh, you know, designing these relationships with each people in his group. And within that group, that small group leader, that facilitator is um, going to start cultivating and building on that relationship. Okay, he's going to start building on the relationship with this individual. The small group's responsibility is to follow up with them, try to get those one-on-ones with them, um, and establish a solid relationship with them. Um, and build that relationship from there. Help bring people to maturity. Matriculate them into that process. Matriculate them to maturity. Okay, so that three-step, that three-tier process is designed for leaders in the church. Okay, so it starts with a welcoming team, connecting that individual, getting their contact information, moving it to pastoral interns and pastoral leadership. Pastoral leadership then, in turn, communicates with them with a one-on-one meeting, getting to know their testimony, understanding who they are, then communicating that to a small group leader. That small group leader begins the developmental process of building a mature Christian, building a mature believer. That's the three-step process there. And all through this process, it's wrapped in a... um, Wrapped in a cocoon of relationship and humility, uh, speaking forgiveness to each other, communicating. Uh, it doesn't matter, you know, what your backstory it is. It doesn't matter um, what kind of sins are in your life. Doesn't matter. None of that matters. What matters is that you're moving and entering into a relationship one with Jesus and two, fellowshipping within the body. You begin to teach, train, educate. You begin to what's the word? disciple each other. That's what Jesus wanted us to do. That's the part that's missing in our churches. It's not effective anymore because we've done this fast food Christianity. We count people that show up to church as members of the church. They're not even believers, okay? They're goats among the sheep. Everybody's got those in their congregation. Individuals that you know come to church, they go home, they get drunk, they do this, they come back again, and and then it's just the cycle, all right? So what are some of the tips that we can do? Actually, before we move on to that, let's look at the second group, that's the group of you and me, the layperson. The very first thing, again, that first tier within the layperson is that communication. New face, get to know them, shake hands, exchange information, and then follow up. Everything we do should be wrapped in the guise of humility. 
That is a commandment from Christ for us to be humble. All right, there's a verse. Uh, let's look it up real quick. It's going to go to, we're going to go to, let's see here. It's going to be Colossians uh, verse 3. Let me pull it up real quick. And um, Colossians chapter 3, and we're going to be in verse 12. So, it says, Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, clothe yourself with hearts of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with each other and forgiving any complaints you may have against each other. Forgive as the Lord has forgiven you. So there's this idea, we don these characteristics, right? We don these characteristics that we're supposed to emulate, the compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. All of this wrapped in that humility, showing compassion and hospitality for each other. We do this without grumbling. First Peter 4 uh, chapter 1 Peter chapter 4 verses 8 and 9 talks about um, serving each other and being hospitable and doing this without grumbling. Okay, understanding that your work, what you're doing, the the time that you're putting into this is um, is working for the kingdom. You're you're Drawing somebody else closer to the Lord through relationship. You're showing how messy your life is. They're showing how messy theirs is. And you're showing each other that you can be reconciled to God by working through those things. There's another verse in Ephesians chapter 4 verse 2 talks about that. But there is a warning as well that comes from Scripture in the book of Luke. So flip on over to Luke. We're going to be in Luke 14. And it's going to be verse 11. So scroll down to verse 11, and it says, um, for everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and the one who humbles himself will be exalted. This is the parable of the guests that Jesus is telling. These are the, the crimson words, okay? This is the words of Christ. He talks about us when we when we walk around and we try to live an exalted life, when we try to be puffed up, we try to be arrogant, where we try to uh, take in people knowing that, you know, we're better than them or anything like that. God humbles us. He brings us low. He allows things to happen in our life. He ordains things in our life that will bring us down to a place where we can be refashioned into something useful. Our job as a believer is supposed to remain in that humility. When we humble ourselves, when we remain humble, when we accept people from in the world into our small groups, into relationship with each other, and esteem their needs greater than our own, then Christ exalts us. When we do it the other way around, we're humbled. And all of us know that that process of being humbled by the Lord is uncomfortable. It's it's cathartic. It, it strips you. You're naked in front of uh, your congregation, the people in your life. So layperson, if you're interested in, in actually doing what Jesus commands us to do, to go and make disciples, this is how you can do it within the church. You look for the new people. Okay, you can do this with people you know. To you. I would encourage adults inside uh, the church to do this with your youth groups. If the youth groups know that there are adults in the church that care for their spiritual development, that one-on-one meeting, obviously in, in public, so there's, there's you know, you're above reproach, reproach for anything. Um, you want to make sure that's that's something you're doing. Um, so that's what you can do, layperson. You can do that with new believers, and you can do that with, with people in your youth group. You can do that with each. It should be a mature relationship that you're building off of, okay? So that's what we can do uh, in the church. These are some tips too. I'm gonna read you seven, six or seven little tips here for you to 
really be a better disciple maker, the very first one is to live a life that is Christ-centered. Now, our faith cannot and should not be um, a, a superficial faith. It should permeate into our life. Everything we say, everything we do, all that we believe should percolate into every facet of our life. Um, what they see in public should be what happens in private and not vice versa or or anything. You should never see that any other in, in any anything that's antithetical to Christianity we should not see in our private life. Uh, one person would say that what happens in our private life or the way we react to something is the way we actually are instead of the way we act. All right. So the second thing you can do is modeling this and leading it leading by example, leading up. Okay, so we make much of Christ, okay? We live our lives in such a way where we make Christ the center. We, we make much of him, not because he's small or little, but because he is much. And when we do this in our life, when we model this theology that God is, we're modeling Jesus as so much more than what he is, people take notice of that, now, it doesn't mean that we can show another person how important Christ is by just watching the way we live. We need to interact with them. We need to do lunches with them. We need to bow before prayer um, in busy restaurants. We need to make those displays uh, and, and show that we are modeling these things. But these things should be organic. They should be things that you're doing already. The next one is to, to be a humble servant. Um, serving within your church is a great way to do that. Uh, we need to make sure that we are are living out our faith. So much of Scripture is balanced between um, faith and works. Faith and works. So you have your faith, but your faith leads to works. Living active faith leads to fruit, leads to works that God has prepared ahead of time for us so that we could do. All right, that's that's proof of our faith to ourselves, not to God, because He knows those things. The other, uh, the next one is accountability. Um, accountability is really a cornerstone of discipleship. Um, you meet with an individual, you sit down with that person, and and you ask questions. Usually you have a list of questions that you know you're going to ask each other, um, questions that you're going to interject with each other. Uh, what have you read today? Are you remaining faithful in, in your spiritual life? Are you protecting your eyes? Are you protecting your heart? Are you doing these things that are leading to a spiritually disciplined life? Now, this gets really difficult. This gets hard because it's you're getting into a person's life. All right. We are, we are made to do that as disciplers and disciples. When you enter into that relationship, you enter it you enter into that relationship with the understanding that there's this person's going to be in your business because we don't want anything hidden in the darkness. We want everything exposed in the light. That's how true, solid, biblical, mature Christians grow when things are placed in the light. Um, if you if you have things that um, that are hidden in the darkness, they will tear you apart and they will eat you alive. So it's important that we're accountable to each other. Um being faithful. Obviously, you want to be faithful to the times and the seasons in which the individual needs you there. You're faithful to your times. Uh, when they're in the hospital, you're faithful to show up. Um, you do all of these things um, to continue to establish, build, and grow that relationship. And lastly, one of the things that you can do is the, obviously the, the most important thing, most important thing to do is to um, continue to be faithful in your prayer and scripture reading. And we'll be right back and we'll talk about some of the faith and the obedience aspects of 
our uh, of our relationship with the Lord. Welcome back, guys, to the episode where we've been discussing some of the issues in the church with pertaining to discipleship and whether or not Jesus would be doing ministry like we're doing it, or if we need to make some changes. Today, we've talked about the leaders in the church, what they can do to help get us back onto a more disciple-centered track, and what we can do as individuals to be more discipleship-centered within our churches. We talked about some of the issues, we talked about some of the the obstacles that we need to overcome, and this last little section here, I want to give you a bit of maybe encouragement and and a bit of a warning, uh, perhaps. We are saved by grace through our faith, right? That's how a Christian is is saved uh, now in the in the New Testament. In the Old Testament, it was faith forward in the Messiah, and that was what counted towards righteousness. Now, our faith um, in Jesus Christ, uh, that guarantees us the grace of God to be saved. However, there is a, a small caveat that, that goes with that. Our faith is kept like our salvation and our faith is kept through obedience to what God has asked us to do. Okay, let me let me just make sure that I'm really clear on that because people are like, wait a minute, can you lose your salvation? Uh, I know that question comes up a lot, and I think it comes up for good reason. People people question that because there are things in our lives that do not fit with what God is asking us to do, and that may be the Holy Spirit in your life. Uh, prodding you to dig deeper, to move further into a relationship with Christ through obedience to what it is he's commanded. So all of the New Testament, all those crimson letters, all those crimson words that Christ spoke were his commands. Those were the things that he told us to do. They were not suggestions. He commanded us as believers in the New Testament to do these things, okay? I'm going to read you a verse, and and uh, there are very very few verses in Scripture that keep me awake, uh, but this is this is definitely one of them. This keeps me awake at night when I ponder it. It's going to be Matthew seven verse thirteen. You can enter God's kingdom only through the narrow gate. The highway to hell is broad, and its gate is wide for the man who chooses that way. But the gate the gateway to life is very narrow, and the road is difficult and only a few ever find it. I'm reading from the NLT today, in case you're curious. This is Matthew 7, 13 and 14. So it says that God's you can enter through God's kingdom through the narrow gate, all right? And then verse 14, it goes on to say, but the highway or the gateway to life is very narrow and the road is difficult and only a few ever find it. It's that last part that always gets me. And only a few ever find it. Because the road that you're trotting as a believer in Jesus Christ, the road that you're they're working on, the one that you're moving forward in, is a difficult road to maintain. Okay, so when you look at your life, when you look at your faith, now we live in a Christian nation. Uh, Christianity is, is considered the, the national religion, if you will. All right, so... Would you say that you, living out the Christian life here in the United States, has caused you difficulty in your personal life, in your professional life, in your spiritual life? If it hasn't caused you difficulty, if it's been easygoing, if, um, if it's been broad and easy to travel, then you may want to ask yourself what road you're actually on. 
Because living out our faith is a difficult thing to do. To say no to lust and to spend time in prayer fighting lust as a man is a difficult thing to do. Especially, I live in a state where in the summertime, the ladies dress down. They dress down to almost nothing because it is so hot. Um, And it's difficult as a man to maintain my spiritual and visual purity. Um, so that that's something hard. That's a that's a labor that I have to have every day. Is it difficult for you to share the gospel? Do you share the gospel? Do you share Jesus with other individuals? That's a difficult thing to do. Do you say no to the parties, to the invitations to go out and drink, to the invitations to sex outside of marriage? Are those things that you're battling as a single person, as a married person? If you are, then you are on that narrow road. You are entering through the narrow gate. But if your life has been easy peasy and you haven't had to stand up for your faith, if you haven't done those things, then you may want to question whether or not you're being conformed to the image of Jesus Christ or whether or not you're being conformed to the image of this world. Because when you go along to get along with them, things are easy. But when you stand for your faith, when you're that person in the workplace that knows you can't swear in front of them, um, those are difficult things to embrace. Those are difficult things, and that is the fruit of your belief. It shows that you are, in fact, on that narrow road. So my question for you is, are you on that narrow road? Are you on the wide road? What, what are you doing? Is it easy for you to travel and walk through this faith? Or has it been difficult for you to? That self-inventory is critical to where we're headed and what it is that we're doing as Christians. We need to make sure that we're constantly evaluating where we're at as it pertains to Scripture and the Holy Spirit, which has been given to you as a seal for your redemption. It's been placed on your heart so that when you are redeemed, the Holy Spirit will be, will be the one that redeems you for, for Christ. Make sure that you're on that path. Faith is kept through obedience to Jesus Christ. I want to read you guys a couple of verses here. Romans 2, uh, verse 13. For not the hearers of the law are just in the sight of God, but the doers of the law will be justified. Justified speaks of this legal term of of being declared righteous. Okay, it's a legal standing. You're justified. You are you are justified, and you know if you're a, a cop, you're justified in shooting another person because you did it correctly. You took the necessary steps. You're justified not just by hearing the word of God, but also by applying it and doing it. So when Jesus tells us, you know, not to lust after somebody, we need to take radical and immediate steps to abstain from those things. We need to invite people into our lives to hold us accountable to those things. We have to stand firm. A lot of these verses have to do with Abraham, uh, Hebrews eleven eight. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to the place where he would receive his inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going, but it was by faith that he was called and that he obeyed by his faith. So when you say that you have faith in Jesus Christ, yet we have things in our life that stand in opposition of him, how can we say that we're believers? I want to say it's in uh, 1 John. Look this verse up. But it says that those of us that say we have Christ in us and we live in opposition to what God says and we continue to sin, we lie to ourselves. We can deceive ourselves into believing that we are in fact saved. But the only way for you to know that you are saved is to live a life of obedience to what God has asked you to do. John 14, 5. 
If you love me, keep my commands. That's really simple. The Bible was written in such a way so that it's simple and easy for us to read and understand. We don't need to, you know, be a scholar to understand what's being said. It's simple enough for my daughter who's five or my son who's eight to grasp and understand. When the Bible says don't steal, you just don't take something that's not yours. Well, what does that mean in the Greek? And what does that mean in the Hebrew? What do they really mean? It means don't steal. When you stand before God with all that weighty, heavy theology and all of that information in your head, he's going to say, I don't care. What did you do with it? Were you just a consumer or did you produce something with it? Did you do what I asked you to do? John 15, verse 14. You are my friends if you do what I've commanded you. Acts 5.32, and we are his witnesses to these things, and so also is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to us, to those who obey him. The Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. It would appear that obedience to God's will is the best way to not only prove to yourself, but to maintain your salvation. I'm going to say it, and people are going to be like, well, what are you saying? I'm saying you have to be, you have to obey God to be saved. Like, you, you can't live a life of sin and, and expect God to come in at the end and be like, all right, you're good. You're like, you have to be obedient. Even the thief on the cross was obedient to the sovereignty of God. He obeyed, and he confessed his sin to God. He didn't produce any good works, right? He didn't do anything, but his heart was in alignment with God. And that's when Jesus said, tonight you'll be with me in paradise, The thief on the cross didn't just make some whimsical statement, but he was committed to what it is he was saying. He was aware of his own sin. He confessed the word homologeo in Greek means for us to be in alignment, to agree, to confess with God and his plan. We come into alignment. We fall in line with him. Hebrews 6.1, Therefore, leaving the discussion of the elementary principles of Christ, let us go on to perfection, not laying again the foundation of, of repentance for dead works, and of faith toward God. James 2, verses 17 and 18. Thus, also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But if someone will say, you have faith and I have works, show me your faith without your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. That's the disputed verse. And it's easily cleared up by saying, your faith produces action. If you believe you're going to be hit by a car, you will get out of the way. If you believe that you are in danger of the fires of hell, you will get out of the way. Ladies and gentlemen, I hope that you have enjoyed this podcast on discipleship. And to answer the question, yes, I believe Jesus would be doing ministry different today. I believe that he would be more interpersonal. He would be making disciples the same way. He would not be trying to influence the entire world with his words, but he would be creating that grassroots movement because relationship is how our salvation is defined. It's defined through the personal relationship and personal acts of Jesus Christ and our own volition, our own statement to believe in that, and owning the faith that creates action in our lives. Take the steps that you have learned through this podcast and apply it to your lives in the church. Personally, be a discipler. Do what God has asked us to do. Walk in that faith, and remember that your faith and your salvation is kept through that obedience in what God has asked us to do. So for the glory of the Lord and the hope of the nations, ladies and gentlemen, stay the course.